Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you something, people. Years ago, when I was a uh, living in San Diego, I was a waiter at Planet Hollywood. And I remember my guest brought in a group of underprivileged kids to have the, uh, lunch and get a tour of the place. And my job was to wait on him. And he sat in the back corner booth. And he couldn't have been nicer. He was such a great guy. And he gave me a killer tip. And my guest is Tom Arnold. How you doing, Tom? How are you, buddy? Oh, the good old days of, of San Diego, Planet Hollywood. Uh, man, we had some fun there. I think, did, did you say I brought kids? Yeah, you uh, had a group of, yeah. I think they're underprivileged kids from the city. Yeah. They're abused kids. They're from the San Diego Center for Children, which is a great uh, uh, center for uh, uh, abused and at-risk kids. And uh, I always had a, a great time uh uh, with uh, them and uh, help build the center down there, and we go to Plant Hollywood. They the kids loved going to Plant Hollywood because of all the stuff on the walls, and they you know they love movies and and uh, also the food <laughs> because it's it was the kind of food that kids would love. Yeah. You know the fried uh, the Captain Crunch fried chicken uh, things, and uh, of course I loved it too. And the desserts were great. And being a part of Plat that's one of the great things about being a part of Plat Hollywood. You could take people to you got to eat free. Yeah. You could take all your, your the the kids from your charities there. Everybody loved it. And uh and I, I certainly had a great time. Well I actually worked at the one in Vegas, then San oh, Diego, they, and they, then Beverly Hills. Oh, I worked in three of them. Oh, did you work at all? And uh the uh the Vegas one was uh I think there's still one in Vegas. I think the Planet Hollywood uh, hotel, the guy Robert Earl, who started all the Planet Hollywoods, and and Morton Steakhouse, like before that, uh, British guy, and that uh, so you could go to Vegas and and still get the Planet Hollywood experience. Uh, but I spent time at all those, uh, much time. Now, I want to talk about your career and your great deal in cameo. But I live across the bridge from Philadelphia, and I believe you were just in Philadelphia with. Uh, Laura Windsor? I was there with Laura. Tell me what I happened, because like, I can't get... I'm, I'm trying to find the whole story, and I only find blippets. Tell me what happened, because it's great. Well, Laura, uh, uh, Lauren uh, uh, Windsor is an amazing uh, journalist who uh, is kind of person that goes undercover and gets people to talk to her, you know, at public events. Like, it gets people to, you know, tell the truth, what they really think of Donald Trump, or what they really think... And these are politicians, like... These senators and, and congressmen, and, and really what they're up to, you know, and people that tried to stop the the free and fair election, and she's done some great work and got great people to talk to her because she sort of she she is this younger well she probably might be forty she she has looked forty but she goes in kind of a character she spent a lot of time growing up in, in Nashville I think she's from Arkansas and she talks to them like you know a true believer and they they talk to her. And uh, I've really admired her work. Um, and so we talked about, we, I wanted to do something with her and, and know what that, that felt like. You know, you go, you have, you have cameras, discreet, very discreet cameras. And, and you try to get bad guys to, to either badmouth each other or, you know, do something that might be useful to the January 6th committee. And uh, uh, Mike uh, uh, Flynn, Michael Flynn, he was a general, General Mike Flynn. He's a full-on QAnon 
like try to stop the next election, try to, you know, and that's his grift. That's what he does. You know, he was he was convicted. He's a convicted felon, but then Trump pardoned him, but he like he does. But you know, he's an interesting character. So I wanted to at least get a couple of minutes alone with him. And uh, and you have to buy these uh, VIP tickets, which we did. And when you buy things that are political, you have to use a name that's your real name. So I I registered under Thomas Arnold because legally that's what you got to do. And and uh, the hope and, and, and Lauren was hoping people would not immediately recognize me. And if they did, they wouldn't know my politics. And uh, um, we went in there, and she does this so well. We I went to Washington D.C. for a night to up in her office to kind of plan it out. And so, but, and I said, she said, well, how do we change your appearance? And I said, well, that'd be a little complicated. I said, uh, but, and we went out to see if people in Washington, D.C. knew me and then knew my politics. And it turns out most of them do, but it was uh, good. So we go up there, we talked about it. And she, originally I wasn't going to wear my glasses. And, uh, um, you know, she's like, could you wear a cowboy hat or, you know, which I have a cowboy hat. I have a huge head, a size eight fitted head, not like one size fits all. Like you have to, you have to have, you know, and she had some MAGA hats, but they're the one size fits all. They just didn't, didn't work. So we go in there and it's a country club. So it is a private, it's not like open, you know, sometimes she does stuff at hotels where they have these huge conventions and she'll just be in the hotel bar. And everybody comes down there. And it's a little different because you can talk to everybody. Um, but as we walked in, you know, uh, um, went to get our, our VIP name tag so we could get in the line for the pictures. That was really the whole. And I had questions, you know. Uh, and my question was, who, Michael Flynn, who, who, uh, who surrendered uh, January 6th? Donald Trump, uh, uh, Mike Pence, or uh, Mark Meadows? Who do you blame for Trump not being the president? Who didn't follow through? Because his advice was call in the, the military, you know, martial law, grab the voting machines all over the country, lock them up, and then force, and then that's how you get it. That's how you do a coup. And that's how Trump should have, he wanted Trump to do. And, you know, Trump considered it. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure why he did it. I'm very grateful he did it. But, um, I just wanted to see who he was going to blame, who he was going to put the finger on. Because even when Trump screws people over, they don't blame him. There's a weird thing in this in, with the Republican, the right wing, where they have to feel they have to suck up to Trump. I know Trump 38 years. I have no problem. I know I knew who he was before he did this. I knew, you know, so I have no no problem doing this. Or, you know, if I was in a position where Trump was there, or Trump Jr. or whoever, I would go right up and, and say my piece to them without any without any fear. That's the right thing you do. Um, I will say that that gets the Secret Service to your house. Uh, they came to my house in, in 2018 because I'd done it. Trump was bragging. He was on the road in Montana supporting this uh, co this congressman, who I think is the governor of Montana now, a big guy, Greg Giante, Giante or something, who had body slammed a little person from the press. And Trump's like talking about it as, as his uh, rallies or whatever you call it. And he's like, I'd like to body slap somebody. Get look at Greg. He did, you know, Trump's a big dude too. Trump is in the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, he's like 6'3. He's a big guy, probably 280. 
Uh, and so if you're in the WWE Hall of Fame, you should be prepared to wrestle, <laughs> in my opinion. So I just tweeted that I would meet him at any one of his rallies and, re- and do a body slam competition. If I lost, I'd do it up on stage with him. If I lost, then he, you know, all due respect to him. And then if, if he lost, you know, it, it would just be great. And I'd go to get, I'd go in the with all his crazy fans, and I'd do that. And so the Secret Service came to my house, and it, they're really great people. Secret Service, you know, they're the front line of all this bullshit. And so they had to interview me. Their supervisor called me out here in L.A. and said, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I have to send two agents to your house because you, you want to body slam Donald Trump, the president. And I said, I'd be happy to see them. So they came over. I, by the way, I got a lot of respect for these guys and the cops and, and even the cop in Philadelphia. They had to come up and with them to, to ask me to leave. But I'm going to try to be a little linear with this story, a little better. But they came over and a pleasant day with them. I got to tell them every fight story I'd ever had in my life. And they, they asked me, they said something really interesting. They said, listen, what if one of your fans, Tom Arnold, uh, uh, took that seriously and then they tried to wrestle the president? You don't want to incite people. And I, I said, I, I, I get that. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to make your job harder for you. So I will take my tweet uh, down. And then I said, why don't you ever talk to Trump about uh, uh, encouraging violence and, and up there in front of all the people and getting people? And they said, we have at least 15 times. We've sat him down and said, you can't do this because someone may, you, you know, things may get violent and then cut to January 6th. Now, this weekend, or last week in uh, Philadelphia area, which I love the Philadelphia area. You know, I have uh, spent a lot of time there, have many friends there, and have eaten at Pat's and Gino's steak, steak on the same day, like went across <laughs> down the road. So I love the place. Film movies there, have one ex-wife from there. Love the place. So they, uh, the guy that's the organizer from this Phyllis Shapley uh, event called the Phyllis Shapley Knights or Raiders, she was a woman, a very right-wing woman that was uh, one of women to act <laughs> subservient to their husbands. And the, the Phil Shapley Eagles, which it, on paper doesn't sound like the worst idea to be a guy who's been divorced four times. But, you know, and so, uh, but they were hosting this thing. And the guy, the big organizer, a guy uh, who has a radio show out there, I think his name's Ed Morgan. I may be completely wrong. Edson. He came up and said, they recognize me. I come in, they're like, What's the name? And my, my friend, uh, Lauren said, it's uh, Thomas Thomas Arnold. And she starts looking for, uh, I see her going through the page for Arnold Thomas in the T's. And then I finally said, hey, it's uh, it's uh, Thomas Arnold right here. And then she's like, oh, my God, are you Tom Arnold? I go, yeah, but my legal name is Thomas Arnold. And she said, oh, my God, we're so honored you're here. And so I, gave, I, I got our passes. We go into the room with Mike Flynn. And... I could hear people in the lobby saying my name. <laughs> Some people were very excited, but it got to the guy running the thing. So we're there about 20 minutes just waiting. We're get next to go up to him, and the guy comes up and goes, hey, are you here to cause trouble? Because we don't want any trouble here. I go, I'm absolutely not here to cause trouble. I just want to to take my picture with Mike Flynn to show people. And he's like, are you going to film something? I go, uh, no, but I will let you guys film me talking to Mike Flynn, and then you can have you want to do it. 
And he, I, I go, are you going to make joke? Are you going to be rude? I go, absolutely not, which I wouldn't. And then he went away. And there was a cop, a, a, a Pennsylvania state policeman. I saw a couple of them on the way in, and we smiled at each other. You know, they got the funky hats that I love. And, and then, so he had to come up with the guy, and, he, and he's like, the guy's like, we need you to leave. We will refund your money, which they haven't yet. But, uh, but I go, okay. And the cop was like smirking, like the Secret Service guys they did. And I was like, I know, this is crazy. So uh, we, we left, and uh, then we, you know, went back to the hotel and filmed kind of a, a post-game thing. But it was, it, I wanted to try it. I would do things differently the next time. What would you do? Would, what would you do next would, time? Well, you know, you and I have glasses that are pretty, that people go, oh, I know those guys from their glasses. Um, I, I think I would change that. Um, uh, my kids said, don't wear your glasses because people recognize you. <laughs> uh, but I, I think I'd do it in a, in a public hotel where they have a big convention. I'd go in there. You know, they are going to give me press passes, but the, but you could certainly get in there. And uh, I have to tell a funny story because Lauren, I, 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 she, another actor had done it with her. I'm not going to say who it is. It's somebody that I really like, very well known. And, and it was in Chicago where he's from. And, and she said, hey, uh, you know, be at the bar. And then I'll text me when you're at the bar. And then I'll come down discreetly. And, and so he's like, cool, got it. And, and this is a guy that's loved in Chicago. Anyway, she gets to the bar and she's like, well, that would be good. Because then he can always say his name. You know, because I told her, I don't want people to come up and say, are you Tom Arnold, like fans. And me have to lie to them. Because that hurts their feelings. I've seen it in their eyes. They know who I am. And... And so she got to the bar, and this actor, this well, very well-known actor, was at the bar. Not only did he have a, uh, like a do-rag for a face mask, which people at that time didn't have to wear a face mask, but he had black sunglasses, and he was dressed like a ninja. So he stood out so much, you know, and, and if you're trying not to call attention to you, well, he, he, he did that. And, and he, he wanted to be called, uh, I can't remember, it was an interesting name. It wasn't Jose, but it was a weird it was a, a name <laughs> that he, he had a whole character, and uh, and they ended up, you know, asking him to leave. And uh, but he just, uh, I, this is the funniest story, and she'll be able to tell this one day. And uh, so, I just wanted to try to do. These guys go around; they do a lot of grassroots stuff, and I just wanted to be a part of it. And so that's what I did, in Philadelphia. Did they give you a reason though? Did they just say, "Okay, Tom"? I mean, or did he just they, say, they, "You got to go"? Harlem. Okay, right when we started to leave, that guy ran up to Mike Flynn, who was standing maybe 10 feet from me in, a, in the press line. He said, hey, Tom Arnold's here, and he hates Trump. And they rushed him out of there. He has big security, like 3%er, uh, former military guys, huge, you know. And that's my thing. It's like, how you're not going to hurt him. He's got He's a general. He's a three-star general. He's those military stuff. He, and he's got all his military buddies, so... You know, but I just want to give the question. They rushed him out, and he didn't come back to the press line. That was it. And then, uh, you know, they streamed his speech, which we, which uh, Lauren watched. And, um, you know, to me it was funny because he was from, he's from military intelligence before he went off the deep end, Mike Lynn. And so they got us out of there. And then a guy, we had a third guy in there who did a dumb thing. He came outside when Lauren and I were waiting on our Uber and walked right by us. Like, <laughs> and he said, oh, I thought I might have to drop my keys behind you. Do you guys, 
And she was like, no, don't ever do that again. I'm always okay. Let me get out. You stay in there. And uh, and they eventually did something with him, too. But I think they were thinking, oh, my God, how many people like Tom Arnold are in here, are infecting this thing? So, and then he gave a speech about overturning the 2022 election already and, and stuff. And the guy that running for governor from uh, Pennsylvania is a Trump uh, stop the steal guy. He's a lunatic too. I wanted to get get with him too. So, but it was it was fun. It's always fun to be in Philadelphia, man. Now, now you said you've known Trump for uh, thirty eight years. I'm I guess you met you met him, you know, in the early days of Roseanne and all that and thing. Before that, even I knew him uh, in the you know uh, early eighties, probably from New York, just because of your. You know he's around New York, and I I've been to the Playboy Mansion with him, and uh, and I always used to say to be his new girlfriend. He took me over there. He'd done my sports show and said, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I've got a new vodka or something, and we're having a thing at the at the Playboy Mansion." And you know I've been to the Playboy Mansion before, and I watched movies over there. And he said, "Would you come? I want you to meet my new girlfriend, Karen McDougal, who's a playmate." So I so I was like, "Yeah, you did my show. I'm going to go over there with you." And for a little bit anyway, and met his girlfriend. But his wife was there, Melania, which is, which was so. Uh, I didn't know she was going to add the daughter, and they all posed together. And Cameron Doodle had her playmate stuff on, and I was like, you know, I used to say I went to the Playboy Mansion with Donald Trump, and, but I wasn't the creepy guy. Well, the fact that I went to the Playboy Mansion with Donald Trump, knowing he was married to meet his new girlfriend, does make me a creepy guy, just not the most creepy. <laughs> Now, what did you think, though? Okay, someone who's known him that long, what did you think when he ran for president? I mean, what was your take on that? Because I always thought he was running for popularity and then didn't think he was going to win. Then he started winning. So then he, like, started yeah. insulting the Pope and all this stuff. And I just said, he's just saying, I don't give a crap. There's no way I'm going to win. And I think it took over. What do you think? Because you've known him. Uh, well, I thought it was crazy. You know, I'd been a film and a movie in Russia in 2015. And and when he when he went there in 2013 with uh, Miss Universe, he took buddies of mine because they his body man was a guy that I worked with in Hollywood. He did Miss Universe, The Apprentice, and so he came back 2013 and said, "You won't fucking believe this, man, but uh, Trump almost got into the Kremlin. If the president of wherever had been in the middle of a meeting, he was going to get in there. He tried to get in there to meet Putin in person." And, and Putin called, and Trump played, you know, he plays all his calls from fa famous people on speakerphone, and they had it on a laptop, and he, this is when Putin said, I think you should be the president, you should run for president. And Trump worshipped Putin. Like, he had one year in the Miss Universe, he had Putin's girlfriend, what, at the time, win. Just like told her, well, judges, this is who's winning. And so he worshipped, but I never um, took it seriously, and then 2015, he was sniffing around, and it, just the fact that Trump started this by by doing the birther bullshit, the most one of the most racist things you could do, and people not kicking him out of everything. In 2011, he started going on TV, said Barack Obama was born here, he was born in Kenya, just all this nonsense. And even back then, I knew Mark Burnett, and Trump, Mark Burnett, and Trump would call my house every year to ask me to do that show, Celebrity Apprentice. I couldn't. It's not that I didn't want the money or need it. I did because it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I couldn't get my head around what is the win. Then you're Donald Trump's apprentice and, and respectfully always declined. I'm grateful I did. But when he started the, the birther stuff on TV, 
you know, I called Mark Burnett, I called NBC, I said, how, how is this guy, how is he allowed on television? When he said, questioning the President of the United States, I said, if, if Barack Obama was the first Jewish president, you know, uh, uh, I'll tell you, and, and someone questioned his birth certificate, Donald Trump would never be on TV again if, if he was doing that. We would have just put the hammer down. But for some reason, this country, people felt it's okay to do it to the first black president. And uh, it's very offensive. And then they, and, and the Republican Party did they respond. They're like, well, we're fine with this. He did eventually lose his show. But to to play off that and, and to play in with, you know, there's always an element in this country. I grew up in a tumble, Iowa, small town, beatpacking town. And there is an element of, of white people in this country. And what happens is every generation, someone talks to them and says, I am here for you. The others, the Jews, the, the brown people, they're taking away your life. They're taking away your 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 career, your family's life. But I am here for you. And he Donald was that gold standard for these people. And what's truth is that, that when this happens every generation, those people, those white people, those working class, but lower, uh, 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 they... They don't go anywhere afterwards. It's all burnt, scorched earth. They, and then all the people around them, the, the people of color, they move up a notch in the world. Because you know, they're always fighting for this thing for themselves. And it's gone on, especially in the South, for 150 years, 200, whatever. But he was that guy. He's like, oh, you know, and, 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 and poor people and uh, some and, and work class people go, oh, my God, that guy's a billionaire. And I know that from the rich people in my town. When I was growing up, they, they were like, you were like, oh, my God, they got to be better than us because they're so successful. And so, um, but but in 2015, when I was in Russia, I stayed at the same hotel that Ritz Carlson had filmed this movie with one of uh, Putin's friends was a producer, too. I wouldn't be I wouldn't do it now, but I did it then. And, you know, the people at the hotel were all talking about when Trump was here and, and verbatim exactly what went down. And I think. That as soon as I got back from there, I could see that things were getting serious for Trump. And I thought, surely people on his side of the aisle are going to put the hammer down. Surely you can't badmouth John McCain, who's a, who's a hero in anybody's book, and like anybody who lived in a three and a half by three and a half inch cage for five years. Surely that would be the one thing too many. But these guys all kept sucking up and. And he just was himself. He was his terrible self. And then eventually, um, you know, that happened. But I also have to say something about Philadelphia, too. I have a, a, a friend there who is one of these uh, the young women who are Jane Doe's from uh, uh, Liberty University. There's 22 of them. And they uh, uh, were at Jerry Falwell Jr.'s Liberty University. They were sexually assaulted and raped, and the, liber uh, the university covered them up. I'm doing a documentary series with these women now. And, uh, and one of my favorite ones is from Philadelphia. So I've, I've got out there for that, too. But Trump, you know, and, and one good thing about people are like, well, release the tapes. Well, the Trump outtakes, everybody knows where they are, you know. And, it, and uh, maybe one day, legally, somebody will get to that, or morally, but doubtful morally. But um, the one thing I did is I, I got to know Michael Cohen very well and made a lot of tapes with him and talking about each issue, each issue with Trump. And, and uh, you know, it was, I encouraged him to testify 
were at the Congress and I stayed. We had cell phones when he was in prison. Now, I don't know how, <laughs> I'm not sure that's legal, but, but then, one time he lost his cell phone in prison because somebody narked on him. And then I got a, a guy came up to me and said, hey, Michael Cohen, call him at this number now, So which I appreciated. He wanted to talk to you. But um, Michael Cohen, one of my favorite things he talked about was being the fixer for Trump for the Jerry Falwell Jr., Becky Falwell uh, sex tape pictures. Uh, with the pool vibe from Miami. Now that interested me totally because Jerry Paul Jr. is a he's a phony and uh, anti xenophobic and anti gay and all these things. So that interested me immediately. So I got did research and got to know a couple of these young men, and uh, uh, one that had been, received a big settlement for them, and, and then one that that never did uh, because that's what was what he's looking for. Giancarlo Granda the hero of this whole thing. And very nice young man. At the Falwells, when he was 20, they saw him at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami and, and said, hey, would you have sex with my wife? I'm going to watch it. And, you know, like a 20-year-old guy, like this rich people, like, oh, are you sure it's okay? Yeah, come up to the to the room and, and have some drinks. And, and so that started a seven-year uh, affair with the Falwells and this young guy. Now, uh, uh, Michael Cohen flew down to Miami to fix this picture, a bunch of pictures had gotten out. Um, and and uh, he went down to fix the thing, like he's a fixer. And and somehow, and, it, and so I asked him to explain that to me. And he and he very, you can say, hear it on the internet. He says, well, I went down there and I fixed this thing about these pictures that, you know, intimate pictures and, uh, you know, we got rid of them. And, uh, you know, nobody wants pictures like that out there. And then he says right on the table, it's a funny thing, he's like, I still have one of the pictures, which he kept with the Peggy Falwell and Jerry and this young man. He's got one. So I flew to New York to, to see what he has. And, you know, that's kind of mo the modus operandi with him, where you know, Trump's friends, maybe they're, they were cheated on by their wives or their husbands. He's always asked to fit. I'll take care of it. But then Trump keeps pictures of it, which is a Vladimir Putin move, if there ever was one. And so... When in 2016, when the the Iowa primaries, Iowa, I, you know, was the first one, and Trump was struggling a little bit. He insulted John McCain, you know, he did win the Iowa primary, and and Michael Cohen went to Jerry Falwell Jr. This a year after he settled the thing and said, "Hey, remember when I settled that sex tape, sex photograph deal for you with the pool boy?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, you know, I, I still have one of the pictures." And now it's your turn to do something for me. I need you to support Donald Trump. And at the time, Jerry Falwell Jr. was like pretending to be a Christian. And, and Ted Cruz is like a born-again Christian. His dad was a preacher. Like, that makes sense. It would be Ted Cruz, you know. But he ended up switching. And, it, you know, there's some very uncomfortable video of Jerry Falwell Jr. telling the Liberty University students that Donald Trump, he's changed his mind. He is the most like Jesus of all these other. And just you can tell he's cascading sweat. It's so uncomfortable, but that is that is what happened. And so my thing, as soon as I found out about that, is I got to get to the bottom of this. And what it led to was not only my friendships with these young men and people around uh, uh, Jerry Ball Jr., but but these the goal is after Giancarlo went public and faced people saying you're trying to extort them, which is not true. I can tell you from the things I've seen, Jerry Falwell Jr. tried to 
extort, extort uh, uh, Giancarlo Granda and threatened to send his girlfriend a video of him having sex with Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife, the Jerry Jones. Like, that's crazy and arrogant. And, uh, uh, you know, that's somebody that wants to get caught, number one. But what came out of it was I, I discovered there was these 22 Jane Doe's who had uh, uh, been raped and sexually assaulted at Liberty University, and the university and Jerry Falwell Jr. covered them up because they wanted to say to kids, hey, send your kids here. It's safe. It's the safest university in Virginia. So they didn't send them to the police. They sent them to the, the Liberty University police, not the hospital. And they and they would say to them, you know, there was one uh, young woman who was 15, was there at a debate camp and was sexually assaulted. And they sent her to the Liberty University police. And they did, they wouldn't send, they didn't do a, a rape kit or anything. They had uh, her, her debate coach, her summer debate coach, come and take the pictures that a, that a cop or the hospital would take. It's disgusting. They didn't even tell her parents. So these guys have all got, these guys are all so courageous. I think Giancarlo Granda going public first. They're like, oh, yeah, he's from our world, you know, the evangelical Christian world. Oh, he's speaking up. He's brave. Let's get together. Let's talk about this. And it's very complicated because there's religion involved. It was complicated for Giancarlo because his parents were like, Jerry Fall Jr. is like Jesus. That's what, you know, so be, I'm sure he wouldn't do anything wrong or whatever. And same with these girls. They lost their families, you know, disowned them because they said, this is, we got to keep this in our world, not the outsiders. I don't want them to look bad for the Jews or the other people. And also we believe in forgiveness. That's right there in the Bible. So you have to forget, forgive your rapist, even though he still works at, Liberty University. And so, but eventually they got the courage and got some support, got a great lawyer in Philadelphia there who's helping them. And so that's a long, long winded answer. But I, you know what? And I've heard you, you know, you just, well, first of all, I want to talk about Cameo. I know you're having a special for Mother's Day. Now, now what? Yeah, it, it what? Just, I, I just want to say, I, bought, I do have a special like a Cameo for Mother's Day and, and also Bebo. But just in general, I do the best personal videos in the world. <laughs> Biter, uh, just the best. And I love doing it, you know, and, and uh, you know, I could use some money. Let's be honest. I have four ex-wives and I have a single 63-year-old dad with a nine-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. So I have to work forever. But I really do enjoy it. So I guess at cameo.me or something. Or, yeah, Tom Arnold, you should Google Tom Arnold Cameo. Yeah, no. do it. And the same with Memo. Memo's great. M-E-M-M-O. But I like to I do as much of those as I can. It's it's fun for me. During the COVID, because my kids were home, you know, we were homeschooling, and and uh, you know, I wasn't able to be out with you know. I have number one, I haven't had a date in over four years, but I wasn't even able to go out and socialize with my friends in person. And you know, I, I made hundreds of these videos, and it was really good for me because I pretend, well, I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to really do this, learn about the person. And then, you know, we're talking to each other, in my mind. And uh, so, in my mind, I would always figure, oh, they're a fan of this, or this is where they are. People tell me very intimate things. And I made a lot for people who are sick, or, you know, trying to be sober, or whatever. And it, it, it felt really good to me, and I definitely enjoy it. Now, tell me some good Hollywood stories, because you're, you're a great storyteller. Just tell me some, a few, because it's so funny. 
you know, you've done so much in your career, and to think you came from Iowa, and your background is stand-up, I used to do stand-up, and you, so you know what it was like being on the road, I was in the late 80s, and playing the shit gigs, and, and all that, yeah. but just uh, give me some, give me some good Tom Arnold stories. Well, uh, for one thing, I grew up uh, at a single dad, uh, when he was 22, I was four, my sister was three, my brother was one, and every time I get uh, tired from, you know, being a dad, it's a lot of energy got put into it, if you do it right. I think about my poor dad, <laughs> and I, I I did not make life easier for my dad when I was a teenager. I started getting arrested at 14, 15, and I, I remember one night, um, he had to bail me out of jail naked. Uh, uh, that's how I lost my job at the meatpacking plant. I had worked on the kill floor for three years out of high school to save money for college, and uh, uh, I, I was also going to, to community college, and I said to my buddies, I want the college experience. The fucking meatpacking plant, that's dreadful. Let's go to a college party. And, and, and we did. And it was, uh, I called in sick to work. I was working the night shift in and, and, uh, uh, smoke, smoke shop. And the party ended about 7.30 because it's a, it's a community college party. And the average age of people is like 62. Because people that go back to college after they, uh, you know, the kids leave or whatever. And I said, that's not enough. You know, we drank a lot, but that's not enough. We need to do something college So we went down town to Tumble, and we, I said, let's streak. And this is in the winter of uh, 1980. Uh, and I said, let's, it's in December, now I think it's December 14th, it's very specific. I said, let's streak, that'll be fun, and it'll be crazy. And streaking had got to California maybe eight years before this, but it just got to Iowa. So we took off our clothes, me and my two big giant buddies, and we streaked through the diner. We had a diner, and... There wasn't anybody there. And so the chef didn't even come out. And so we're like, fuck that. That doesn't even count. Like, there's nobody. We went to Mr. Quick's, our, our local hamburger place. You know, the <laughs> kind of the same thing. And what happened is Mr. Quick's, they were like, yeah, that's, first of all, I know those guys. We had our, our, our shorts on our head, but they recognized all of us. You know, it's a small town. Mo and Mike, my buddies. And so I said, I know where people are all the time. And let's go to the old folks home. Let's go to the Jefferson Square Manor because the nurses, who we know, will think it's fucking hilarious. So we come busted in there, and the nurses did not think it was hilarious. And the cops had already been called the last thing, so they're by, right behind us. So we come out, wheel it out of the, the, the old folks home naked, and the cops have got our car surrounded. My buddies and I tried to jump in the back seat and put our shorts on because we're nowhere arrested. And, uh, and it was so crowded with our fat asses back there that I stepped out of the car and, and uh, I thought, well, I'm going to put my under, underwear on like a human being. And the cop grabbed me and handcuffed me behind my back before I could. And uh, it, I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Because I'd been to jail. They already knew me. So I go, you got to be shitting me. It's like people are driving by, you know, because that's what our town did. There was a drag there. Everybody I knew drove by there. And it was it was cold, it was freezing cold. It was not a, you know, I had my battle penis, not my show penis going, and I was like, you got to be at the cops. Like, uh, I go, give me a fucking blanket or something. He's like, you're a pervert. I go, you're a fucking. <laughs> so I went to jail, and my dad had to come and bail me out again, and I was naked, and, uh, and he. Comes to jail. My dad's the nicest guy in our town. I'm just going to tell you. President of the Cancer Society. All did stuff for everybody his whole life. The JCs, Just a really guy. 
great man. And people loved my dad. He was the nicest guy. So he comes out of jail again, and he, and he brings my clothes, and he said, you know, Sheriff Irwin said that you, uh, 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 Mike and Mo ran naked through the old folks' home. Now, I know you've done some crazy things, but that's disgusting. That's despicable behavior. Just tell me the truth. And I'm like, Sheriff Irwin is a fucking liar. We did not do that. He goes, I didn't think so, Tommy. I, I know, you know, I believe in you. And I said, give me my underwear, Dad. I'm naked. I'm still in jail naked. And we never talked about it. But my dad's dream, you know, we heard him laugh hard one at one occasion. That was Bob Hope specials. They used to have these Bob Hope specials on it. Bob would go to Vietnam or Korea or do stuff with the troops. And he'd bring sexy women and do bits. And my dad worshipped Bob Hope. And there was a Bob Hope special on in the 60s, 70s, my dad was just, we could hear him guffawing downstairs. And I said to myself, whatever Bob Hope does, that's what I want to do. Because I want to make my dad laugh like that. So one of the first things I did in Hollywood, probably 1989 or, or you know, I came out in 88 to write The Roseanne Show. But very soon after, uh, I did a Bob Hope special. And I was dressed like uh, Robin Hood or something. I had tights on or whatever. Bob Hope had tights on. Roseanne was made Marion or whatever. And I told my I told Bob Hope about this, and Bob Hope called my dad, and he wrote him all this stuff, signed all this shit for my dad in books. Just could not have been nicer. And so what happened is this dream I had as a kid, going to Hollywood. It, it's impossible for him to, to while. Just I wanted to make my dad laugh. My dad watched that Bob Hope special in the same living room, on the same TV that he used to watch Bob Hope. Except this time I was standing next to Bob Hope. And that's a very magical thing. And Bob Hope was the greatest guy. But I also thought, well, I guess all my dreams are <laughs> accomplishable. And, and uh, but when I, when you're when you're working at Hambone or or Chiseled Heads or whatever job at the kill floor there, you uh, uh, you got to make your own fun. I used to daydream. This back in the day, seventy-seven to to eighty, I would daydream that I was in Hollywood, and I think Morgan Mindy was on that, and I was best friends with Robin Williams. You know, that I knew the Terminator, that Charles Schwarzenegger for the body. But I was best friends with Art Rubblies. So years later, uh, I think it was my second movie. It was called Nine Months. It's a good, it's one of the ones that holds up. They don't all hold up, that's for damn sure. But this did. And so Robin Williams, my wife and I, Jody Cusack, and uh, Hugh Grant was the other guy. And then uh, uh, his wife was Julianne Moore. Jeff Goldblum said it. But the best part was our doctor was uh, Robin Williams in this movie. And, and he'd just done Mrs. Doubtfire. Hugh had just done uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. i just done True Lies. This is a big, things are, it, things are good. So he has uh, uh, us over, Rob has us over to his house. We filmed in San Francisco for five months. He had us over to his house and uh, for dinner the night before we started. And, and so after dinner, I'd say, hey, Robin, you know, I have been here before. And he's like, no, you, you haven't been to my house before. I go, no, no, this, me, you best friends. And he's like, we aren't best friends. I, go, I know, but it's, it's close enough. And uh, he was the nicest guy. Anything good you've ever heard about Rob Waves is true and that more. And, and if I called him at three in the morning and said, so-so's in trouble, he'd be like, let's go get him, whether you do him or not. But but uh, Hugh Grant and I were best friends. And and for the, the whole run of that movie, we went out every night, fucking high-fiving best friends. You know Hugh Grant, the British actor. And uh, uh, we did everything together, and, and Madonna came to town, and Madonna put on a private concert, and she invited Hugh Grant and I to be her special guests. You know, she invited Hugh Grant, but I drove. But <laughs> And then after the show, she asked us to come backstage, 
And Hugh Grant and Madonna were all over each other. There was chemistry. And so she's like, you gentlemen want to go out to my suite and hang out? And we're like, yes, Madonna, we want to go out to your suite and hang out. Hell yeah. High five. So we get in the elevator to go to Madonna's huge suite upstairs. And I had a little conscience go. I said to Hugh, listen, I'm not going to be offended if I get in the cab right now and go back to the hotel. And, and so you can be alone with Madonna. And he's like, Tom, do you or do you not want to see me fuck Madonna? I'm like, well, of course I do. But I don't want to be a weirdo about it. He's like, well, mate, in about 10 minutes, I'm going to be fucking Madonna. High five. So we go to our suite, and we're standing there, huge, huge, beautiful, everything. And she's like, gentlemen, make yourselves at home. I'm going to go into this room and freshen up. And so we're like, we cannot believe our luck. We're standing like, this is crazy. And uh, we're making ourselves at home. So Hugh grabs a big bottle of $200 champagne and just starts chugging it. And there was a giant sheet cake there. And uh, I, I went over and cut the corner with uh, the most frosting. You know, the corners have the most frosting. And we started eating it. We just could not believe how, how lucky we were. And then all of a sudden I said, hey, 3 o'clock, you see what I see? And he's like, yeah, that's Madonna's Louis Vuitton luggage. I go, yeah, are you thinking what I'm thinking? He's like, yeah, let's steal some shit out of there. So we go over to open up her big, big truck and start rifling through it. And all of a sudden behind us, I hear, what are you assholes doing? And turn around, it's Madonna. She's like, oh, my God. You're eating my brother's fucking birthday cake? We were going to surprise him with that tonight. And I'm like, okay, don't worry. I will put this piece back. It will look good as new. She's like, you guys are idiots. Get out. Get the fuck out of here. I go, no, excuse me. I'm an idiot. You can still have sex with you, Grant. She's like, get the fuck out of here. And so she ran us to the hall, slammed the door behind us. I'm like, goddamn, I'm so sorry, Hugh. Now you don't get a fuck Madonna. She's like, sorry. This is a much better story. Oh, my God. We will never see her again. Plus, we got her spoons, man. <laughs> High five. So, two weeks later, a buddy of mine, uh, 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 Steve Tish, made the movie Lock, Stock, and Do Smoking Barrels. Lock, Stock, and Smoking... What is it? Lock, Lock Stock, Stock, and Do Smoking Barrels. Yeah. He produced that. He's a big producer out here. He did, uh, uh, you know, he did Forrest Gump. He's done a million things. But he said, I'm having the director, which I just... He just screened the movie. I don't even think it was out. I'm having Guy, Guy Ritchie over to the house tonight. For dinner, and uh, uh, you know, uh, you should come. It'll be a small dinner, and you get to know him. I was like, I want to be best friends with Guy Ritchie. That's for damn sure. And he said, he said he's bringing his new fiance. And I said, Well, I don't give a shit about his fiance. I got to focus on Guy Ritchie. So I'm there around the corner. Comes Guy Ritchie with his new fiance, who is Madonna. What are the fucking odds of that? And I was like, Oh my god, she hates me. This is gonna be terrible. So we're sitting at dinner, and I'm sitting across from Madonna at. Guy Ritchie, and I couldn't, I had my head down the whole dinner, but but about halfway through, I accidentally made direct eye contact with Madonna, and she had no clue who I am, which is, it, it's painful, because it's better to be hated than not known. But at the end of the dinner, uh, Jamie Tish, uh, Steve's wife, says, can I get anyone anything? And Madonna's like, I bet Arnold would like some birthday cake, and which is very funny. Madonna's great, by the way. I love her. She's great. She's amazing. But the people at the dinner table didn't know what she's talking about, so I, I made a huge tactical error. I said, let me explain, guys. Two weeks ago, Madonna had a, a private concert in San Francisco, and she invited Hugh Grant to be her special guest. You know, She wasn't into me. She was into Hugh Grant. I mean, it was very it was very real. And then all of a sudden, I think, I'm looking at Guy Ritchie. He's like, skunk eye at me. And I'm like, oh, let me, let me retell that story. First of all, have you guys been engaged for... Less than two weeks. <laughs> She's like, get the fuck out of here. And she kicked me out at my old friend's house. Like, you know, so. But, so the last day of a movie, you do something called a press junket. 
And you get a whole floor in a hotel like the Four Seasons. Everybody gets their own room. And journalists come by room to room and basically ask you the same questions over and over about your movie. You're, you're promoting your movie, so it's not their fault. And uh, Hugh Grant, by the way, he's a very funny guy. Hilarious. And, uh, and I was doing an interview with Entertainment Tonight. And you can Google this because of what happened. And uh, I think it was Entertainment Tonight. And Hugh Grant came in the middle of my interview in my room to shit talk me. He's like, hey, Tom, are you getting a hooker tonight? And I'm like, what the fuck are you? I think I'm married. I don't get hookers. Do you get hookers? No, you do. You do. We start arguing in front of the, uh, the camera. And the, and the producer's like, don't worry, boys. We will never play that clip on entertainment tonight unless one of you gets arrested with a hooker tonight. <laughs> and what are the odds of that happening? Well, it turned out pretty good. So we had a going away dinner afterwards, and everybody's there. And uh, I say to Hugh, listen, man, I got to uh, uh, I got to run up to Toronto for 24 hours, uh, but there's a Dodger game on Tuesday, uh, so let's hit it, man. This has been fun. And he's like, uh, Tom, our movie is over. I go, yeah, I know our movie is over, but you're going to be staying on Beverly Hills like five houses for me. So let's just keep on uh, doing what we're doing. And he's like, oh. Tom, I don't, I don't understand. Did you think we were friends? <laughs> got, he's like, don't be offended. We, you can't be friends with everybody you do a movie with, Tom. Uh, we're vagabonds. I'll see you in a year and I'll give you a hug. Now, now tell me, tell me, um, how did True Lies come about? Because you know that was that was a different role for. I mean, everyone knew you was Tom Arnold. And was that? Did you yeah. have to audition or did you get that offered? Yeah. Or tell me what, yeah. what that was like on set too. Well, well, just let me say the last piece of this. So I flew to Toronto. 6 a.m., emergency phone call by publicist. She's like, oh, my God, did you hear what happened to Hugh Grant? I was like, I'm like, holy fuck, did he die? And she's like, worse, much worse. He was arrested with a prostitute. <laughs> I said, "Matter woman, because I know you very well. Just said he beeped into my phone. It says, bloody hell, mate, you won't fucking believe it, man. I just got out of jail. You won't fucking believe it, man. Where are you? We need to get together and think of a lie to tell Elizabeth. And I'm like, did you think we were friends? Because you're um, True Lies, amazing opportunity. You know, I uh, uh, it looks like I'm going to be re reunited with Arnold on his new Netflix show a little bit, something. But um, this summer, but True Lies, I mean, I knew Arnold, I known Arnold for a while in Hollywood and his stuff and, and uh, done stuff with him, Planet Hollywood, done other things. But um, I didn't know, like, I worshiped the guy. You know, he's the guy I thought about at the Meatpack Plant. And uh, from pumping iron and all that stuff. So um, I got, we, we, Rosanna and I were at William Morris. And there was a rumor that we were leaving William Morris. So um, all of a sudden my William Morris agent, unbeknownst to me, called up James Cameron because they were looking for to cast my part. And they'd seen everybody in town. He called James Cameron said, and, and he, did, he asked him for a mercy meeting or whatever you call it. Like we have a lot of clients, do William Morris is solid. And so he called me and said, hey, guess what? Jim Cameron wants to see you for true life. I'm like, that's bullshit. But I will go to the meeting because it's my only chance to meet James Cameron. And James, I'm a huge James Cameron fan. So I went to it. We just, James and I sat down, James and I sat down, talked a little bit. And then he said, uh, he was very nice. He says, okay, well, let's do the scene, the audition scene. I said, I didn't even read it because I know I'm not getting this part. So I just am honored to have met you. And he's like, okay, that's weird. Here it is. It's three pages. Just read it to me once. And so I just read this scene one time. And then he's like, says to his assistant, get Arnold down here. And up to that point, I had no idea it was Arnold was in the building. 
and, uh, and it was a, there were stairs upstairs, and uh, uh, I was like, oh my god, this is this is kind of cool. And as Arnold's walking down the stairs, Jim Cam, where did Jim Cameron? I said to him, I can take you. <laughs> I was seriously excited about because I'm six two, and Jim said that's why he cast me. And then Arnold and I read that scene together one time, and uh, Jim filled it, and that was it. He like, took me and said, you got it. You got the part. Don't tell anyone for two weeks, so please. And I, and I, of course, I said, I swear to God. Of course, as soon as I got out of my car, I had one of those big cell phones. I called everybody I knew, and nobody believed it. They're like, are you back on drugs? And, uh, so, But the reason Jim Cameron asked me to do that, it's way two weeks, is because he had to go to Fox Entertainment, Fox, who was financing the movie. It was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. I think it was 120 million dollars back in 1993 dollars when we started filming it um and he had to give them the good news and he went over and met with them and said hey great news i found the third guy after arnold and jamie curtis and they're like fat that's great news we, we'd love to start shooting the movie right away there and they're like who is it and he's like it's tom arnold and they're like that is terrible news <laughs> you know don't you know and do you ever read the tabloids uh, james uh uh, you know, it, it, what has he done? I mean, he seems like a crazy person. And there, and James Cameron, to his credit, said, I don't read the tabloids, but I but I met with Tom Arnold, and Tom Arnold is the guy. There's no there's no debate. And they said, well, uh, we we don't think we can approve Tom Arnold. He said, well, that's, that's fine, because I'm going to walk across the street to Paramount and make the fucking movie there. And they're like, Okay, maybe we'll give him a, a two-week opportunity. And uh, but I had no idea this went down. I had no I, the Fox people would come to set, and I'd be hugging them like, "Hey, buddy, thank you for," you know. And they really were looking for me to fail. But uh, you know, at the end, because it came out right after my divorce started with Roseanne, very public, acrimonious. I didn't have a lot of fans, and uh, you know, I thought uh, you know that I'd be back in Iowa in a couple weeks. But I was so grateful I got six years on the show. You know, with, with working, writing, producing, acting with the best people in the world. So I was like, I'll have stories to tell my grandkids back in Iowa. And Arnold, Jim, Cameron were like, fuck those people. This movie comes out, it's going to change everything. And I was like, I wish I could believe that. But it really did. And uh, people, you know, the first screening that James Cameron had, uh, uh, people didn't know what movie they were seeing. He was doing a test screening. And, Arnold Schwarzenegger's name goes up. Yay, James Cameron. Yay, Jamie Lee Curtis. And then my name came up and people booed. But at the end of that two-hour, 15-minute movie, when they filled out the forms, what they liked best in the movie, it was me. And so that's the power of, of, of working with great people and just how people's mind continues to go, oh, he was great in the movie. Maybe he is a nice guy. People had never met me. but And uh, it really did uh, just give every opportunity I have because it came out after Roseanne and I broke up. So every opportunity I have is because of that first opportunity of that movie. What was it like acting with Arnold? Because, as you said, you had dreamed back in the meat plan of Arnold. I mean, now it's it's real. What is, I mean, are you intimidated? Or what, what's when you first... Well, the first day, you know, I, I wasn't too intimidated. But the first day, the first thing we filmed, there's a scene where Arnold and I walk into the like the CIA or whatever the, the headquarters are, they, and they, there's a body scan, and you can see our skeletons walking with our guns. We had to film that, the, the walking. And I get there, and Arnold is smoking a big stogie. There's all kinds of people around, and he's got the tightest 
gold G-string on. That's it. Because he looks amazing. And that's how he's going to film it. I'm like, fuck, that is. I'm going to put, I had, I had uh, boxers on. And uh, I tried to, you know, there was a problem uh, with uh, the boxers were showing up. So, I, I mean, it was so, I was like, nothing could be worse than this moment. And then eventually, just to get the shot done, I said, oh, I'm going to just take off my pants. <laughs> I'm going to let things go. But he was so confident. He's like, what's going on? And, and then he marched out and did his thing. And I'm like, Jesus, this is brutal. Um, but our relationship in real life is much like our relationship in the movie. And that's why it was so easy for me. And, you know, uh, because I genuinely love the guy. And uh, and also, you know, he, he's a shit talker too, Arnold. He gives you shit. And uh, so it was very funny to me. I played a guy in an action movie, the, 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 the what do you call them? The coast or whatever they called that guy, his, the other guy. And we're not the star, but his buddy, his wingman. And yet Arnold fucked up in the movie. Like his character <clears throat> screwed up. And that was so funny to me, you know, personally and to my character that now this guy's like me. He's a fuck up. And uh, so all those real, all those scenes are very real. And, you know, I mean, we filmed for seven months all over the country. And it was, a, it was exhausting, but it was a great. You know, I just thought, I didn't have, know how big of a deal it was, like, which is good, because I just went to work and tried to, you know, get our things going. And James Cameron was very uh, uh, great, uh, uh, generous, letting me try lines. And one time we were filming on, on uh, Constitution uh, Avenue there in Washington, D.C., which if you shut down Constitution Avenue, that's a huge thing, because it's, it's where everybody drives, drives down by the Capitol, everything's very close together. You got to, it's a big deal to shut that thing down. And uh, we were filming a scene where uh, I, I, uh, we're spying on Arnold's wife, which we aren't supposed to be doing, seeing if she's having an affair with Bill Paxton. And so I've got all the details, uh, and I'm reading them. Not, nothing much going on. She didn't do much today. And, uh, uh, okay, I think that's it. And he looked, and there's a page missing. And he's like, which page 17? Give me the goddamn page. I go, oh, I didn't know even notice, because there's something out there I don't want to tell him. And so he gets out of the car, parks the car, gets out, and I get out the passenger side and meet him, and he grabs the pages around, uh, uh, from me, and uh, uh, he's like, give me the goddamn page. And then uh, but he, he, and I say, uh, whatever I say, but he smashes the back window. You know, that's what he's mad. He says, give me the goddamn page. Now, what I said after that, and what I said get out of the car, I, I ad-libbed some stuff. And then James Cameron's like, you got it. We're going to do it exactly like I wrote it this time. And then I want you to do it 17 different ways. So we had to keep shooting because he was, like, teaching me a lesson. <clears throat> I think they I think they, they kept my line. But they had, to hear, they had a car behind it, you know, uh, SUV. And they pull it up. The, it had the fake window in it. And then Arnold would smash it. And they were working on another one back there. So they pulled that up. So they had to reset the whole thing. And it took hours. And they had to reset the window. Reset the, you know, but that was a good, that was very funny and a uh, good lesson. You know, always do it the, the way they want first, then you can add lip stuff. Well, that's awesome, Tom. I, I want to thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, it's always great talking to you. I, I, I'm a fan of your work and uh, the cameo. People look up Tom Arnold cameo because I'd be it's cameo or Bebo Tom Arnold. I'll make you know intimate, you know, for people that are not doing well or pep talks or. 
you know, I, <laughs> or bachelor parties or bachelorette parties. I'll, I just love doing it. How long do you speak for when you do it? Too long. I think some people do like 30 seconds or 20, a lot of celebrities. Sometimes if it's very personal, they give me a lot of details about what's going on in their life. You know, I've done like five minute ones or, you know, I did an eight minute one. <laughs> the friends, if somebody's in the hospital and, and uh, uh, I'm sure they have to edit it themselves, but I do enjoy it. And, uh, you know, it's good. Now, uh, what else, what's coming up on your docket? What do you have coming up in the next few months? Doc, that'll be, that'll be coming out before the midterms. Uh, I'm going to be in Philadelphia filming a movie on the 23rd of, uh, of May, which is great. <laughs> and uh, so I love just going back there. And uh, I also do uh, the, the autograph shows, the Comic-Cons. And this weekend I'm in Alabama, Huntsville. And next and the week after I'm in Alaska up there. I just love I love doing that stuff. And uh, you have to love it. <laughs> Otherwise, you can be annoyed or whatever. But I'm grateful for that opportunity. So thank you. Well, I want to thank you, people. Uh, follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Arnold. He posts some good stuff. And he, 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 he's, he's, he has some good stuff. That's why I found the... Uh, the story about him in Philly. Uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 900 episodes there. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.